0: So welcome and, and welcome. Um, how do you say your name? Anishi? Anishi. Aneshi. Anessi. Yes. Aneshi. <laughs> welcome. And where do you Thank live?
1: You. I'm in um, I'm in New York, upstate New York.
0: Oh, well, so glad to have you come.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I'm glad to be here.
0: And and I'm Kim and I'm in Austin. And maybe everyone can introduce themselves. We have a, a very diverse group here. I don't think anyone is a Daughters of American Revolution unless (laughs) Emily is, but you're probably not either, are you, Emily? No. No. So, (laughs) uh, and Trouty, where do you live?
2: In Austin.
0: (laughs) And do you want to say where you were originally born?
2: That's too complicated.
0: Okay. (laughs) So I'm kind of... Half from Lebanon and half from Russia. But
2: you were born in the United States.
0: I was born in the United States, yes. Thanks for clarifying. And
3: Daniel? (laughs) Yeah, I was born in Poland, but I'm in Austin right now. Okay. I'm probably forever.
0: Forever. (laughs) Forever. Great. (laughs) Even, Even when the earth burns up? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah
3: that's <laughs> that will change the situation. Okay.
0: And Milan.
4: Hi, I'm in Mexico City. And Emily? Hello, I'm in San Antonio.
0: So sometimes we have six or seven countries at various mm-hmm. Apomata um events, which is really neat. And um, so what we do, this has been a group for many years and we read books just out loud, a chapter at a time, I mean a paragraph at a time and we pause and we discuss and there's no question that's or comment that's too stupid. And then we go on and um, we work through this stuff. Anyone else
5: wanna add anything?
0: And this is where we are in this book by John Tarrant.
3: Yes, I, I made the list of reading. Uh, so the first oh, a person starting with the letter A, NSC. Um, Then myself, Daniel, Emily, Kim, Milan, and Troudy.
5: I didn't hear that very well
3: uh yeah so um so yeah the so the reading list the first person this is would, the
0: order that we'll read in oh
1: okay okay and so who goes first i heard my name somewhere
0: you're yes. first because you're oh, I am? you're a yes. okay
1: and how just a paragraph how long do you want me to read just
0: a paragraph just okay. a paragraph if it's okay. a very short paragraph you can do too that's fine mm-hmm. yeah of course So compassion
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. compassionate mitna when it shows itself the primal material doesn't look like the main attraction in our dreams there's stone in the spiritual life there is a parched closet you know parched desert or a cliff face before us, blocking the way. The basic material manifests also as the ants at a picnic, as a beggar in an overcoat outside a cafe. The beggar's hair is matted, his eyes are wild, and he smells, he wants food. He wants us to share our last crust of bread, acknowledging our kinship with him, and with everything humble and rejected. How we treat him will be the turning point of our life if we accept him, we accept our own darkness, and at the same time, gather him into human company.
5: I guess this him is kind of us, isn't it? Ourselves? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure.
0: And then it's also maybe part of ourselves that we don't like, that we're having trouble owning. But what do you think, Trouty?
2: Am I muted?
0: No. Okay.
2: Well, um, since this figure is completely desperate, at least the description is such, I I would just say in in general, if you say us, even if we are desperate, we never think that we are completely desperate. Anyway, that's my take on that. We are not standing on a pavement waiting for the last crust of the bread.
5: Are you saying, saying, Tradi,
6: that it's rare to have that experience?
5: No, uh,
2: I mean, the experience of having a beggar uh, while eating in, in the restaurant, in front of the restaurant outside. Uh, no, but, well, I, I just don't want to go into uh, spending uh, too much time. The last two years for me, I, I've been um, displaced. And often did not have any place to go to. But uh, it always uh, worked out somehow. I just kept trying.
0: You sure did. (laughs) How we treat him will be the turning point of our life. I I really like that.
1: Yeah. You know, I really like that because I mean, in New York city, there's a lot of homeless people and a lot of beggars. And I remember I take the same train to New York every day uh, to go to work. I mean, now, you know, we, you know, we're in, we work from home, but when we were going to work and I remember that I had a cold and I always saw the same people, the same people begging for money. And I remember once I had a cold And, um, and then I got better. It was a really bad cold. And I remember this woman that was homeless. She saw me when I was better. And she said, how are you now? Is the cold better? And for the first time, I noticed that she had noticed me and that I had been noticed by her, that she had an awareness of me. I had an awareness of her, but not as much as she had an awareness of me. And that Out of all the people I knew, she would ask me if I was better.
0: That's a beautiful story. Yeah, Mm. I
1: never forgot that. So if we accept, you know, it it was like I was seen by somebody that is rarely seen, that is often passed by and ignored.
0: And you would think that they were so caught up in their own stuff that they couldn't see anyone else.
1: Yeah, yeah. There, I... You know, she shifted my perception. She really did. She was a teacher to me. It was not so much about me. It was about humanity, the humanity in her towards me. Even in her destitute state, she was able to be humane.
5: That's great.
1: Yeah, and she she shared her humanity that we often do not share with them, I felt.
0: Thank you. I think Emily, right? Uh, it will oh, be it's me. Oh, you, it's, Daniel? Yes.
3: At such a moment in the old myths, the beggar turns into a god. And to what we will and to what will we be entitled if we feed the disguised god? Disguised, disguised god. We will never run out of the blessings of heaven. And what we are they, and what are they? Oh, nothing in particular. Olive oil, grapes, a seat at the table, a bed, the sight of children running from us into windy weather. The true color of our own lives made visible to us, the richest of soul. Here is a woman's dream in which the primal stuff, just by entering awareness, asks for our kindness. I have a child, a baby who is black, neglected, unknown. I don't recognize this child at all. I didn't realize that I had another child. I'm very confused at first. But then I realize that I can nurse the infant whether or not I recognize it. I can look after her.
6: In this dream, the infant is like the baby Jesus, a hiding place of the spirit, the divine in disguise. When we see the foundation as an infant, we are beginning to love it. And with love, compassion appears in the midst of darkness, compassion that will eventually help us find our way into life again. The next story takes this theme a little farther.
0: A woman once told her lover that she had cancer when she did not. This action is so far outside of common sense, it is recognizable as an act from down inside the descent. Still, she explained herself to herself by remembering that her father had beaten her while telling her, if you don't lie, I won't hit you. But he, <coughs> he hit her anyway. She began to lie as a protest and mostly she would lie that she was sick. She knew that both her lover and her father, that with both her lover and her father, she wanted to evoke pity and sympathy, the kindness that links people, and to find relief from the intrinsic suffering of her life. Then one night, she had a dream. I am in the house where I grew up. My parents look tired and sad. The house needs cleaning. I have an impulse to clean it for them so that they will find (coughs) themselves in a clean, sunny house and be happy. I start cleaning.
4: This dream is not interested in whether the woman is tangled with her lover or even whether she is lonely. Instead, it shows a softening toward the icons of her inner life. Her dream parents have become small and human and compassion has appeared as a natural force. The dreamer feels concern for others, an impulse to deal with the dirt and stains of life. Perhaps the new direction is not here yet, but a gate has opened. To have compassion for our parents is to have compassion for our own history. And it turned to have compassion for their history, to let sunlight, sunlight into the terrors of the ancient past, which are always so near. And now that she can feel for her parents' plight, it is not such a large step to acceptance of herself, of the cruelties, cruelties done to her, and of her own failings. She does not need to steal a trickle of sympathy for a tired sour source. She is dreaming the cleansing water into being.
2: Compassion is a gift that appears without being called. The traditional Buddhist name for the one who has compassion is the Bodhisattva, the one who lives for the benefit of all other beings. Even after enlightenment, the Bodhisattva remains with others in the realm of birth and death and sorrow because she serves the light at the center of things. This theme appears naturally when we are at the bottom of life. We may discover in ourselves the qualities of the bodhisattva even or especially when we feel most lost. Here is the dream of a young woman who works with patients who have terminal illnesses. I have have just found out I have stomach cancer. A horrible feeling of loss just consumes me. I realize I'm losing my future, my marriage plans, the children who can't be born now, my career, all the things I haven't lived and known. I ask my friends and no one can help me. Then I am in a mall and there is a woman who has late stage stomach cancer they are changing her diaper right there on the ground in front of everybody. She is allowed no dignity. I realize this will also happen to me. I call my doctor and he says that no one outside will be able to help me. I will have to find what I need inside. I wake feeling disappointed, afraid and alone.
1: Is that me? This is a dream of empathy.
5: Yes. Of the you're ways better, that, man. We,
1: that we infuse each other with our feelings and our human plight. The dreamer has entered the situation of the patients that she the patients she sees every day. And her distance, her, her preserving separation from others has collapsed. She is no longer innocent, no longer of species different from the dying. She's too She, too, is breaking open and in the end will not even have her modesty and the protection of her clothes. The good we do has its cost. And here we see what this woman has paid and the beauty of what she's paid. She has paid. Other people will not live her life for her. Now she will suffer it and enjoy it herself.
3: Welcome, Jay. If you want to join, uh, you, can, you will be reading after Emily.
7: Uh, okay. No, no, I'll, I'll just listen. I'll not read. Okay. Thank you.
3: In the pit of deepest night, the figure of the Pieta bites with us. This maternal endurance and reverie denies time, death and the obvious truth that life is broken. It appears through the woman bathing and perfuming the dead Jesus. Through the woman in a trailer home messaging the body of a dead boy so they can bend the limbs and clean and dress him. Nothing is being made here, but love is being maintained, and that is enough. It will have to be enough. From this compassion out of the bottom of hell, everything else will be born.
6: Empathy is an act of imagination. To participate with another person in her life is to make a connection not possible in the night of despair. We imagine our way out of the dark, but when we are in the dark, any act of will or effort is beyond us. So compassion, this poor small first piece of the imagined world, like life itself, is born out of nothingness and is beyond
5: anything we intend or deserve.
0: I guess um, it's not something you can decide to do in, in a real sense, isn't that what he's saying? Do you think that's true?
5: Which uh, concept the, that empathy the, is an
1: act of imagination?
0: No, no, that you can't um, you can't intend or deserve it. You can't intend to do it. That's how I'm reading. So compassion is beyond anything we intend or deserve. You, it's kind of like getting hit by a baseball or something.
6: It just happens.
0: It, it, something happens to you. You see something and then it runs through your body. You why,
7: not de- why not deserve? I don't understand that part. I, I, I understand that you know, compassion can, you know, um, it's not something that you necessarily think of that it just awakens in you, but w- I don't understand why it be not deserved.
6: It can be a trap, I think, to um, sit in despair and say to oneself but I deserve compassion I deserve something else when despair is happening to you and there's little you can do in that moment
0: deserve is a difficult thing for anything isn't it you know do we really deserve anything I don't know
6: Deserve can bring pain, I think. It's a, it can bring an expectation that in some cases can be unreasonable. I mean, I think I see what you're saying, Jay. Like, um, I like to think that everyone deserves compassion. But um, it can also be a trap, I think.
5: Who's reading now?
3: I think Milan, but we lost her. Oh. So I think Troudy now.
2: Okay. Coleridge
3: records the
2: moment of change and it's involuntary grace in his poem, the rhyme of the ancient Mariner. The Mariner's descent has been particularly devastating. He has killed the albatross. The crew of his ship has died cursing him, and now he languishes adrift at sea alone skeletal, tormented by thirst and remorse. He tries to pray, but cannot. Water snakes appear, emblems of the corruption introduced into the natural world by his crime, but still they are life. They play on the ocean, going about their ways, oblivious of him, to him. And the mere sight of them transforms their desolate witness. Oh, happy living beings, oh, sorry. Oh, happy living things. No tongue, their beauty must, might declare A spring of love gushed from my heart and I blessed them unaware. And there is a colon, so shall I read on? That's fine. Okay. The mariner's delight and fellow feeling arising spontaneously breaks the spell, but his obligation does not stop at that moment. He's given an ongoing and unique character task, telling his story to strangers. This is the beginning of the path that in the East is called the bodhisattva way. The actions of such a person are no longer selfish, but undertaken for the sake of the eternal itself. Compassion steering has freed him from his stagnation and he must now touch
5: the souls of others.
0: It's always been, been interesting, especially in the last week in this intensive we were in, thinking about, uh, you know, so what really does a bodhisattva do? Is it like, like a, a miracle worker or, you know, like Mother Teresa or, but, but this is nice, you know, just touching the souls of others. It might not be like the
5: Red Cross. You know, how do you guys see the Bodhisattva? I agree with you.
1: I was thinking just yesterday that everything I do is for the well-being of others and that I noticed that I am a teacher and I am a therapist and I'm an artist and that everything that I do is to benefit the people that I serve, and I, I just had that awareness that even my art is to benefit the people that see it or read it. And um, so,
5: when we dedicate ourselves to to others. We're there to help all beings. And compassion for them flows. In the pandemic, I feel, because
1: I've been so busy because of the pandemic, it increased that level of how can I help more because there's not enough time to be a therapist. So I do a lot of groups and things to help others in a larger forum, all for the benefit of of others. So in a previous paragraph, it kind of said the same
5: thing. And I said, oh, that's so interesting about the bodhisattvas, it suddenly kind of
1: resonated deeply with me reading it here even though it's something I know
5: it's some it's somehow landed very deep in me
0: and there's obviously like as I look at your your frame and see the beautiful flowers and the background and everything that there's a lot of self-care too
7: (laughs) there is it's
6: beautiful (laughs) yes there is It's so true.
0: It's good that you haven't excluded that person. Some aren't that good at that. Okay, who's reading now?
5: I think it's me. Okay. um,
1: Caring for the night, is there where I am? Yeah, caring (laughs) for the night and it's people. Caring for the night is the strategy that we come to by hard roads. For Dante, the landscape at the bottom of hell suffers from insufficient features. There is no song, no creature, no warmth. All is ice frozen and without movement. In the inner life, there's no seeing, no perception, no capacity for attention. By caring for night and the life made during darkness, we claim those pieces of ourselves that seem irremediably stuck in matter, the deficiencies and flaws of everything neglected, deficient, stubborn, resistant to illumination, unable to rise. We look for dawn in an inward and downward chasm where we must learn sweetness with our pains, acknowledging the sorrow like joy but its own integrity and landscape. The grief of life beg attention. They are orphans. They want to be loved. They hold our out their small hands, which grow larger and more substantial
5: when we take them. That's very beautiful. Yeah, he has a great way with words, I think.
3: The body of Jesus broken on the cross offers an image of the primal matter. It is the body of a criminal abandoned by his intimates, tortured, and given a slow, shameful death. Since the situation is beyond human repair, the corpse is taken down and given to the rock of the tomb, where eternity may do what it will. And women come to, ba- to bath and... B- to bathe. To bathe and... Anoint. Anoint. And, and anoint the body. Their care for the broken corpse softens the dark a little and after three days of inert death, a door opens. When the new time appears, we find that the dark does not disappear at all, disappear all at once and forever. Compassion wakes, up, wakes us to our labors. Like Dante with his guide, we leave, we leave, we leave hell, to enter purgatory.
0: Purgatory.
3: Purgatory. The place where burdens are taken on for the sake of
0: love.
7: Can I just say, I this is the first time, I mean, I haven't heard that word in a long time, purgatory, but it's actually really interesting to view um, purgatory that way as the place that we go to before attaining that higher truth, pure self. You know, it's like when I was raised Catholic, purgatory was the place you go, the in-between place that wasn't hell because you weren't ready for heaven. So this is really a a really new uh, way of interpreting that word. And I actually really like it.
0: What you, what year did Catholics get rid of purgatory?
7: Oh, I don't know. I didn't even know they got rid of it, so.
0: <laughs> I think so. In the 60s, was it?
6: Was that
7: when they purged Latin from the mass?
0: It was at the same time, yes.
7: Well, it, honestly, it couldn't have been because, I mean, I was born in 1974, and that was part of my Sunday school teaching, you know, lessons, purgatory, so.
0: That's interesting.
7: Yeah.
5: (laughs) I agree with you, Jay.
6: I think that's a, I hadn't looked at purgatory in that way. And it's a nice way to look at it, I think.
0: Wow, a new chapter.
6: Climbing into the light.
0: Loves tasks.
6: Like the stars over dark fields, love is the gift of the eternal forces. We do not know why it appears. It is just the song that the universe sings to itself. And like other beauties, it is a demanding guest. As soon as love arrives, we have to serve it. We were naked and now must put on clothes and work.
5: And Jay,
0: you said you didn't want to read. Is that correct? Okay. There is happiness in taking on the tasks that lead us out of the darkness. Work gives us a place in the world, a place the child finds coming behind the grownups with a little broom in the kitchen or holding back the flap of hide as a kangaroo is skinned beside the fire. In Dante's purgatory, as opposed to his hell, the souls carry their suffering gladly, knowing that it purifies them, and so brings them closer to God. This is a time-honored attitude for spiritual labors, in which joy comes from a lack of selfishness. Our pleasure is to carry the right burden. And this is the result of the change that came over us in the darkness. When we had no strength or conscious wish and love came to pull us through.
4: In such a way, a parent sits up with a child in fever behind her forehead. The parent may be dark, tired, and will have to work tomorrow. And the night, which is long and frightening, but but sleep is not his first desire. The child vomits on him and he does not mind. He is happy to be worried, to smell the smells of sickness, to have a child who is alive and needs to be washed. These labors themselves make him a parent, gives him a life beyond himself.
7: Can I just say, as a parent who's had sick kids, I was never happy to be worried. You know, so. (laughs) I love this. I love this. I'm happy when they get well, but in the midst of it, I was not happy to be worried about their health.
0: This is very interesting. Um, I don't think I want to say who it is, but someone in, in our sangha was at inquiry. This was a few years ago and had ju- just gotten over a very bad sickness and talked about how glad he was that he was sick that, as opposed to the alternative of not being alive. You know, So there's that. And there's also um, when I was growing up my friend's father um well i went to see him later and he had had both of his feet amputated and he kept saying to me this was this is such a better choice that i made you know or so i'm so fortunate yeah that i'm alive and so that's how i read this he is happy to be worried
7: no, no, just, I understand. I'm just saying, I, and I get that. Like, even when you, you know, say you, you're you, given a diagnosis. And for me, in the midst of the diagnosis, you may not be happy. But afterwards, you're like, I'd rather deal with that than the alternative. I'm just saying, right. in the midst of my kids being sick, I was not happy to be worried. <laughs> you They're know, just, hindsight is different. Yeah.
0: Another thing that came up is is um, there's a story about Suzuki Roshi kind of, uh, telling someone, um, you don't do zazen, zazen does you. And I think that's kind of his approach, that life kind of does you rather than you're making these conscious um, efforts and decisions. You know, these things happen to you and and you, you take them in.
1: Yeah, you know, Kim, that reminds me a while back when my husband was very sick. He passed away in 2011, but I remember I was so angry that he had cancer and that I knew he was going to die. And I didn't know what to do. And so I went, I remember I went to a weekend session at the Zendo I attend. And suddenly I got this insight and I came out of there realizing I am going to love my husband the same way I loved him when he was healthy. I'm going to love him sick the same way. There's no difference. And when he, He was still able to drive, and he came to pick me up at the session. And I just hugged him. And I, after that, I didn't have the, I didn't have the anger over the illness. I felt like I was going to enjoy every minute of his living. And then he used to say, "Oh, I'm not dying of cancer. I'm living with it, and I'm going to live." And then he started to attend the zendo, something I always wanted him to do. And he was such a great attendee and meditator. But, you know, I would wake up in the morning, happy to have him, even though I knew the inevitable was going to happen. And sometimes it wasn't, it wasn't joyful. There was a lot of pain, but in the end, I remember the moments of joy. And also I learned a lot about death from him because he would tell me his experience. I did hospice at home and I'll never forget the things that he said. They were so I wrote them down. Like it was about time and space and his experience of dying was amazing. That he would be like there's no death. Just believe me. There is none. <laughs> and he was amazing. I'm just going home. And he went home.
0: That's beautiful when my sister had a similar attitude. She oh had. yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah.
0: Wow. Okay. And then I was, I was, there's a, uh, I did this project with a woman who had um, cancer, and um, then there's a video as part of it. It's at my website, kimmosley.com. You can get to the video. Okay. And um, but one of the things we realized at the end is I was thinking she was dying and she was thinking she was living.
1: Wow. And wow. that
0: was such a big difference. And this is um, around 1990. Wow. And she had stage four breast cancer that had metastasized to her liver and, and no one thought she would live. And she's still alive.
1: Wow. Wow.
0: 30 years later now.
1: That's
5: amazing. Wow.
0: Okay, who's reading?
5: I think I it's think... me.
0: Okay. Um, no, I
3: think it's Trouty. Such unselfishness
1: can appear. Wait. Oh, it's Trudy.
3: I think so, yeah. Oh yeah,
1: okay.
3: We are here, such selfishness.
5: It's me? Yes. Well, how did
2: I miss that?
0: <laughs> it's okay, Trouty.
2: Well, I was listening.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Such unselfishness can appear in very hard times. One of my childhood neighbors had been on the Burma Road, a name that sent a shiver through all who heard it. During the Second World War, the Japanese had used captured troops as slaves to build a route through the tropical forests of Southeast Asia. The men were starved, beaten, and killed at whim. My neighbor was set to breaking rock, where he fell in with a group of Cornish coal miners. It is not clear how these men had been chosen for such work. Whether they got there the way Brer Rabbit found his way into the bri- briar—I oh, see, okay—into uh, the briar patch whether it was a random assignment or whether for some other reason. But the miners saved my neighbor's life. They taught him how to wear the sound of a hammer, Tap, 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 tap. They would go all day using as little force as possible, listening to the different voices, the hollow booms, the dull notes, mapping fault, lines in the stone. At evening, he said, the Cornish men would strike the rock a couple of times in the right place, and it would shatter. In this way, they appeared to be working continuously and also produced a small quota of broken stone, not exhausting themselves, not attracting notice, serving their captors very, very slowly. Their patience and their intent listening preserved them and they shared what they knew. Attention and
5: love were intertwined. I guess it's me. Sorting the grains working our
1: way, as we emerge from night, we separate ourselves from its confused mass, tap-tap. In Genesis, order appears with the division of chaos into day and night. Sky and earth are distinguished, and everything else follows. Grass, stars, creatures, and the drama of awareness. Spirit enlivens the thickness of matter. Shape separate out from appear form appears. At this moment of our journey, when we are just beginning
5: the first ascent, the creation also happens within us.
3: In many ancient in many ancient stories. The ascent begins with an impossible task of sorting or distinguishing. In the tale of Cupid and Psyche, a soap opera of classical times, Apolligus gives an account of the heroine's emergence of, uh, out of darkness through various labors. It is a story that contains many elements of the inner journey, a fall from innocence to descent, tasks undertaken during the night including a visit to the underworld, help from unexpected sources, and finally an ascent followed by a union or a union in marriage.
6: Psyche, usually translated as soul, was the youngest of three sisters and so lovely that people began to attend on her rather than on the shrines of Venus. The goddess of love, angered, asked her son, Cupid, to make the human girl fall in love with some dreadful outcast with no prospects. Meanwhile, since no one had the courage to propose to such a beauty, Psyche was lonely and miserable and began to hate her own charms. Her parents consulted an oracle who advised them to prepare her for a wedding with a vile winged monster, terrifying even to the gods. Psyche's innocence seemed to have attracted catastrophe and she herself as a dutiful daughter insisted on following the oracle. Her parents dressed her in mourning and left her to await her grim bridegroom at the top of a cliff.
0: It's me, right? Right.
5: Mm -hmm.
0: In a surprising development, a zephyr wafted. Is it wafted? Wafted. Wafted.
2: Yeah.
0: Her down to flowering meadows, where she fell asleep. After resting, she awoke and entered a splendid place where she was served by invisible hands and guided by invisible voices. In the dark of the night, her husband came. He treated her sweetly, but there was something odd about him for he forbade her to see him. Still one becomes accustomed to the strange and life went along until one day after becoming pregnant Psyche wanted to assure, reassure her family of her survival.
7: <coughs> Can I ask you a question? Is Psyche like the source of like Beauty and the Beast? Is her story like the you know not
6: not entirely um, okay. Yeah. But it's a pretty cool. Um, myth, so definitely I recommend it,
5: reading it. It's quite beautiful.
4: While well, her husband advised against it, she brought her sister into, sisters into the place and gave them gifts. But the sisters were spiteful, everything her fortune, no, envying her fortune, They convinced the girl to light a lamp and kill her lover while he slept. For he was, they said, a monster who devoured pregnant women. Holding a knife aloft, Psyche lit the lamp and saw asleep in his splendor, Cupid, the god of love, himself indeed a terrifying winged, winged monster, though very, Thought very beautiful. How soon she let a drop of hot oil from the lamp spill onto the compelling shoulder. He awoke and fled.
5: Psyche then wandered
2: about looking for her husband by playing upon their greed she brought destruction on her sisters but she could find no protector so her only choice was to cast herself upon the cold mercy of her mother-in-law Venus beat the girl and gave her four
5: tasks We are back to NSE. Poppy and Bet. The labor was so
1: impossible, but ants helped her and eventually the seeds were divided into their kinds. Psyche's second labor was to fetch golden wool from the deadly magical sheep. She was about to kill herself in despair when a humble and friendly reed told her to wait till the afternoon when the sheep rest and she could gather the wool from briars. The third labor was to fetch water from the inaccessible source of the river Stites, which was guarded by dragons. An eagle came to aid her, filling the jar for her. And the fourth labor was to enter the underworld with a box and ask its queen for some of her beauty to bring back to Venus. This time she received advice from a kindly tower, which she had climbed again in despair in order to fling herself uh, to her destruction. The tower instructed her to refuse any request for help on her journey, no matter how deserving or pitiable the supplicant might seem to be. Further, in the palace of the underworld, she must refuse an offered banquet and a comfortable chair, but sit on the ground and eat only a piece of bread. Psyche followed this advice and obtained the box. Since the goddess of love is the source of beauty, we ought to be suspicious that as she asked to obtain some for her. But on the way back from the underworld, Psyche could not resist opening the box. A deadly sleep overtook her, and she swooned But lovesick's love, her stricken husband had by then recuperated enough to fly out and retrieve her. In the end, Cupid persuaded the ruler of the gods to make the marriage official, and Psyche and Cupid live as immortals
5: together in the heavens.
7: Can I ask? I mean, honestly, I I didn't. I've always heard of Psyche and Eros or slash Cupid, but I, I've never really um knew their story. But honestly, like in hearing this tale, I'm hearing seeds of like um Rapunzel and like other fairy tales that we you know hear in everyday um. Mm-hmm. know kids stories so i'm just curious if anybody knows how how much of an influence those things may have um you know
6: oh yeah i think i i think you see um lots of echoes in older myths and stories Mm. from very old sources it just can't help but be passed through countries and times
7: Yeah. It's just, I've never seen, you know, it's like, I've, you know, you, you've heard stories about, um, Cupid and, um, Zeus and stuff, but I've never seen the relationship with, um, fairy tales, except with this story. I'm like, Whoa, hold on. (laughs) You know? So I was just curious. All right.
1: Yeah. What's interesting about, about these stories is that in every culture, they have these stories with different gods and, and stuff like that. Like there's so many similarities. And even with the fairy tales, too, like many of the fairy tales, you'll find they take a different, a different, you know, take in another culture. So I'm always like interested in looking at those similarities, like you, like, wow, this book, this reminds me of this, and this reminds me of that.
6: Yeah, even the, the beggar story, uh, there is a beggar story. I think in the Bible, and then there's also many beggar stories in, uh Greek myths, and then also in um, those German fairy tales, the Grimm yeah. brothers. Yeah. yeah, it's so true. Yeah, in which, like a, a very lowly beggar turns out to be someone who offers mm. an incredible boon, it, just in in response to kindness, simple kindness. So. There are themes, I think, that are just universal.
1: Yeah, that's so true. But also, Mm. you know, the psyche and this story is also very metaphoric about the self and about our own wholeness.
2: Mm. Well, Angulimala in the Buddhist tradition could be probably also added. Uh, I mean, it was somebody who... uh, wanted to achieve something. I I just make it very brief. And so he was told by his teacher that he would have to um, cut off 1000 fingers. So anguli is fingers, and mala is uh, probably, you know, um, like a necklace. And so it comes to the point that he still needs one one more. And so he's roaming around and he sees somebody in a rope going ahead of him. And so he, he thinks he has to hurry up to catch that person and maybe to get that one missing finger from for his mala. Well, but the distance between him and the person ahead, never shortens, even though he hurried up. And then somehow suddenly it happens that he actually faces that person. And uh, that person actually turns out to be a Buddha, the Buddha. (laughs) And uh, I forget at this moment what actually it was, um, Angulimala did not get a finger from the Buddha, but the Buddha said something, and Anguri became a Buddhist.
0: I thought he was so impressed with the Buddha, because no matter how fast he went after the Buddha, he never collapsed the distance, that then he, he uh, took him on as his teacher.
2: Well, I I don't remember it that way, but it, I just don't remember that that uh, you know
0: he he couldn't shorten the distance between him and the Buddha.
2: Right, and so it, it was it was really uh, the Buddha that shortened shortened the distance. <laughs> well, anyway, but like uh, the grim stories it has been attested that many of them came actually from from Asia, from different parts. And uh, that's interesting too, because they became sort of something of uh, European value, but that's not really true. And interestingly also, who were the people who were actually disseminating
0: the people who were what? I didn't get that word. Disseminating. Dis- oh, okay. Uh,
2: disseminating um, the the narratives or the cores of the narratives that have been then uh, molded to maybe local uh, customs and mores.
0: <clears throat> it, it's amazing. You, I'm sure you know more about this than, than I do, but how... Um, like along the Silk Road and all this transferring of of knowledge and stuff, but there were so many languages, how that, how the communication was able to exist with the different languages.
2: That is a very good question, but uh, let me remind you that actually in most of the world, especially world that has neighbors that have different cultures, People are multilingual, and they they don't go necessarily to school to learn another language. Many of them are illiterate in our sense, but but just by hearing and being in the environment or having dealings with with others uh, in business or whatever service, whatever it is, uh, they learn
5: it. Well, anyway, (laughs) it was a little bit
2: of a- No, that's
0: a good point. I'm I'm glad you said that.
2: And uh, I I would like to uh, point out, I mean, Silk Road had uh, sort of a smaller road going south into Gandhara and India, but it wasn't the main road. It was more that maybe there was traffic from India through Gandhara then up, up there. And all those people were not necessarily merchants. Many of them were um, mendicants or they, they were Brahmins who provided services to the merchants or to other people and also to disseminate some, some uh, Brahmanical knowledge.
5: Well, anyway. I
0: thank you. already too long. <laughs> no, never. Oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, where are we? Yeah,
3: we have still five paragraphs. I think we can finish the chapter. Okay. Uh, that's me now reading. Um, if, um, we who journey our psyche, the ingenue. we fall, we always do. We are left Forlorn. But Psyche's first fall is not sufficient. It has created the conditions for awareness, but awareness is still missing. The night continues to the darken, and another descent occurs when the lamp oil spills into Cupid's skin. Psyche must match, harmonize with the austerity of the nightfall, even in the underworld place. She's not yet at the bottom and must stoop further until she sits on the floor itself, eating only bread.
6: Venus hates psyche for all the usual mother-in-law reasons. But underlying this cause for her ordeal is a deeper truth. In order to know union, we must have separation. We have to be someone apart from others before we can be loved and join them in the daylight. As she sorts the grains, the psyche is no longer defined only by her relationship with her lover, Cupid. She is discovering her own capacity to do, to make to be aware.
0: The individual life appears as we rise from our dark bed. We have seen how one woman found compassion when she dreamed of cleaning her parents' house. Like Psyche, she is no longer identified with those parents. And in performing tasks for them, she makes her own life her fate, her inner experience, her suffering, (coughs) have become separate from theirs. She can feel for them because she is not them. And this separation is the beginning of freedom. Job too has the benefit of a God separate from himself with whom he can quarrel. Awareness then is not a passive receptivity, but an achievement a consequence of many tasks. At the beginning of the ascent, we have to earn our awareness and actively intend to develop it.
4: In her journey towards the basic low condition of matter, Psyche receives help unsought even from inanimate things. She knows an impelling of empathy of participation, a sense of affinity with wreaths and towers and birds. And what of that ants who held her to sort the grains? I, f- I fancy there's spirit in disguise so easy to overlook in the odd forms it takes, hiding in the ignored bits of life, sustaining the girl when she is beyond other help.
0: Okay. So is this where we're gonna stop, Daniel?
3: Yeah, I think we, we made a good progress and it's a long chapter
0: now. Okay. So we take 10 minutes now To uh, write or sit or sing or dance or or walk or walk, thanks, Trouty, or do nothing. (laughs) And then we'll come back in 10 minutes and um, we'll just have uh, four minutes then to uh, maybe share where we went. Who would like to share?
7: Well, I'll, I can go first. Great. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, um, I really liked the psyche story. And it just made me think about um, how sometimes we have to hit rock bottom and let go of everything that we think that we know, um, in know, and start from scratch in order to get to the light. Because I think, like, the conditioning can poison you know the um the direction and growth and um it's in her story it just made me think like how often in the moment that we're ready to give up that's when we I I for myself I've stepped out of my step out of the way and I'm ready to surrender I've given up and then the answer appears (laughs) I was like oh my god you know in that moment of surrender when I'm like that's it that's when the answer usually appears, and everything. I, every time I think I'm gonna remember the lesson, I find myself still getting my way. But that's a whole other story. Anyway, um, but it also uh, and the other thing was of myself. I can do nothing, and even though, like in the um story, he said the ants were spirit, but I felt everything was spirit from the eagle to um Eris, everything because she didn't accomplish any of those things by herself, you know, she, um, had assistance. So I, I, I think like, it just reminds me to tap into all of my available resources and strength to accomplish stuff. And knowing that I, I do not do anything alone. So mm-hmm. those are my points. I am completely. <laughs>
2: No, thank you.
6: I've uh, sat with those stories since I was a little kid, and it's wonderful to be able to come at it from a new direction and hear other people's thoughts, Uh, because there are things that I just didn't think about very deeply as a child. So it's wonderful to have the opportunity to
5: get the experience and look at it through a completely new lens.
0: I had a similar um, thoughts to Jay and I'm going to share my piece. You know, I, I do these, these, these drawings and that's the drawing. It's a bird pooping on a guy, okay? I don't know if you remember from some time ago, I had that experience at our little local restaurant. I think I'm the one sitting, and even the one loving, and obviously the one living, but this was a big delusion, and I was more the recipient of life. Suppose I ask myself that I'm just here and these things fall onto me, like what falls from the bird when I sit under the tree. Can I receive these gifts mindfully and with patience? So so there's the.
6: Wait, what are those limbs?
0: Do you mean the limbs on the guy? Yeah. Well, he has one extra limb. I I just take more and more freedom with them to fill up the space to make a composition. (laughs) Um, Excellent. Yeah, I kind of give myself permission to do that.
7: <laughs> Yay. Do not conform.
0: <laughs> no one's going to arrest me, I've decided. Okay. So thank you all. Um Anessie, I'm sorry, I I I'm slow at learning um how to pronounce things, but if you'd like to be on our Apomata um uh google group mailing list i'm glad to put you on it yeah sure um if you'll chat me your email address yes yeah. also a uh, wednesday night i'm i'm leading the koan study and it will be really good i promise yeah, i signed up oh good yeah,
1: yeah, I did. Because yeah. I have time this week, so I signed up for a couple of oh, things. oh, <laughs> I'm so glad
0: you'll be there.
1: Yeah.
0: It, it's one of those really, really simple koans. And it's so Which simple. One? Oh, I'm not gonna say, but oh, it's oh no, so, yeah, you
1: can't. You can. not uh, yeah. It, it's exactly.
0: so it's so <laughs> simple you wonder how could it have survived for um, 1,300 years. Okay.
1: Hold on one second. I, I'm having a problem with my computer. Oh, there it is. Let's see.
7: Oh, we lost Emily. All
1: right. I'm putting my info.
7: Did nobody else have um any takes? Any what? Any opinions of the reading yeah, or, or feedback?
2: Oh, I'm slow on the uptake. I need to process it.
7: Okay, Danielle Milan. <laughs>
0: well, Trouty, I have a little uh, Buddhist question for you.
1: I'm and sorry, that, I can't hear. I turned off the the sound. Oh, Did you say something, Kim?
0: No, I'm I'm asking Trouty a question. Okay. Um, with the Theravadins, do they? um mostly conceive of there being one bodhisattva at a time and the bodhisattva is a buddhist in training
2: i do not know at which point actually bodhisattva has been i don't know what to say established or
0: well the idea of many bodhisattvas seems to be a mahayana thing. Thing yes, right? Yes. Yeah, but the one yeah. bodhisattva
2: Well, I. Or you don't I know. Mean, uh, we we read lots of uh, you know. I, I needed to do Pali for years, so we, we read lots of for texts. But I don't recall any sat in the Theravada text Oh, at all. Well, I mean, at that time, I probably did not look for it. Mm. So that that might be, but just in general, I would say that it may have been um, a later development. Now, um, usually it is said that Mahayana developed a little bit later, but maybe in the last decade or two decades.
0: It's been questioned, yeah.
2: It has been questioned and uh, people came, scholars uh, that really um, deal with those texts all the time. Um, they they would say that Mahayana quite likely uh, actually developed simultaneously. And if you look at the texts in, in Mahayana, um, some of them are less developed than others. It may have been on purpose, but uh, they have been developed by maybe groups or individual teachers, but in Theravada, Actually what we have, the Tripikata, that uh, is considered truly the base of uh, Theravada and and original Buddhism or the early Buddhism. Um, That was composed only some 200 years later after the Buddha uh, preached.
0: Do you think it it developed less or changed less from the original
2: uh, How it was
0: originally uh, conceived? No, no, I
2: would not put it that way. Uh, okay, it is more like well, I mean, I haven't been there, <laughs> but it's more like that everybody memorized the materials, right? Mm-hmm. And then it has been written down a couple of hundred years later, or well, we do not mm-hmm. know really exactly the time. But what was remembered. That was memorized, and that is a different thing than when it is being composed by the people who make it available, and it becomes then, you know, a canon.
7: Right. Daniel, I'm curious. Do you have any um, thoughts about the reading
3: tonight? Uh, I'm a little bit distracted today, so uh. not really. But um, but I'm enjoying listening. Yeah. Um, it's a I... hard text so i'm um, i'm always rereading the chapters
4: oh okay yeah.
0: milen you've been quiet
4: you've been talking a lot
2: i'll tell my i'll tell that to my
0: wife <laughs> <laughs> you'll get a laugh out of that <laughs>
4: No, I just I I really like this phrase uh, that says in the reading, um, like the stars over the dark fields, love is the gift of the eternal forces. We do not know why it appears, it is just a song. It is just the song of the universe sings to itself, itself. And I was just rereading in the 10 minutes, uh, the first lines of the category Mm. cast. reading and I related it to this paragraph it says you cannot build up your life force after your birth but life is something you can build up you can totally accept the energy of your life force you can use it to embark on a new life from now on and then um, whoever you are your life is very precious because the original energy of life is working in your life so I related this energy that Katagiri was talking at the beginning of his book with the love idea. Yeah, but This one reading of tonight. Yeah,
7: I, I do love that uh, statement because I I do believe that when we come into this world that we are in touch with that, our essence is love and it gets bugged down and you know, Um, clouded, I don't know, but it, but I, I too love that statement because I know that I don't have to do anything to get that love. You know what I'm saying? I'm already worthy and it's already given to me freely and it's available to me. So yeah, that's pretty powerful one. Yeah.
0: Gives us a lot of hope, doesn't it? yeah you just have to sit there (laughs)
7: let
2: it
0: rain
7: let it rain (laughs) all right guys i take my bow
2: thank
7: you
5: bye bye thank you bye thank you
2: thank you